0: be impatient in the short term, but patient in the long term. Welcome to Agency for Change, a podcast from Kid Glove that brings you the stories of change makers who are actively working to improve our communities. In every episode, we'll meet with people who are making a lasting impact in the places we call home.
1: I'm going to say two words you probably hear a lot these days climate change. And while it has dire consequences for all of us, one job that's about to get a whole lot harder is farming. Scientists predict that the effects of climate change will result in more pests, frequent droughts, and flooding all of which lower crop yields for farmers, and for the rest of the world, this means food is going to become harder to find and harder to afford. Seems bleak, right? Yikes. Well, there is some hope. Vertical farming is a new way of producing food in an indoor facility where crops are stacked to optimize space and special grow lights and controlled temperatures allow for uninterrupted year-round growth. And it just so happens that today you're going to hear from someone who is part of a company working on this exact problem and in the process helping make farming more productive and more sustainable. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Agency for Change podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Weinman, President and Chief Strategist at KidGlove. And in a moment, you're going to hear from Eddie Bedrina, CEO of Eden Green Technologies, which helps cities around the world grow food via sustainable vertical farming technology. Eddie, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to discuss this topic today. And to kick us off, would you mind telling our listeners about Eden Green and how it's helping to improve food accessibility?
0: Absolutely. So, Eden Green is solving the distribution problem around nutritious, local, and affordable produce. All right? very so
1: important things.
0: All very important things. So we basically have a vertical, very high density greenhouse. So think, think about the greenhouses that you've seen, you know, in pictures, or maybe you've been in one that are all flat tray, one level. What we've basically done is used all of that volume of space, 24 feet up into the air, and then an acre and a half in dimension. And in that greenhouse, totally full of these vertical towers, full of plants uh, we, we grow about 2 million pounds of leafy greens in a year, 2 uh, over million pounds, 2 million pounds in
1: one year. Wow. Yeah, so it's
0: about 13 to 17 harvests, depending on what we're growing. Yeah. All wow. In
1: more than one per month. I love that. And I can't wait to dig in more. I mean, such a fascinating and important thing that you're doing. But Eddie, I also want to hear about you because I know you have an interesting past. Can you talk to me about the career path that led you here?
0: Sure. It is winding and sorted. <laughs> um,
1: That's the best I, kind of path. Yes.
0: Right. Uh, so I actually started in government. Uh, so I had the opportunity in college and grad school to work for uh, president Bush senior in his personal office in wow. Houston, uh, and had a chance to go to his grad school that par- I perlaid that into, uh, working in, t- in government at the state department, uh, where I was an analyst, both pre and post nine 11. Mm. So some pretty, I didn't know it at the time, but my wife and I were both in government and we, we look back on it and we realized we were sitting in the middle of history. Wow. And uh, so I had had a front seat, front row seat into that particular part of history. I ended my time there by being President Bush 43's Asian American spokesperson. So I headed up the White House initiative on Asian American and Pacific Islanders. That was in 04 to 06. So how do
1: you get from government to vertical farming?
0: So my second chapter the second act of my career uh, was actually as an entrepreneur. So I started a, a a digital marketing comms agency called Buzzshift here in Dallas in 2010, and started bootstrapped that with my business partner. We grew it to a size where we got some some unsolicited offers to buy the company. So we sold it in 2016. So to just to have bootstrap something from scratch, uh, have a business partner, have it last six years and then to be acquired. We jumped a lot of hurdles that, that most entrepreneurs don't make it over. So, so very, very thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Very thankful for that opportunity. So we sold it and we thought we were done with it, but lo and behold, uh, we had the opportunity to buy it back uh, for a very, very low price uh, a year later. So that's what we did. So I have the story of been there, done that and gotten the m t-shirt twice <laughs> for one company. I love it. And uh, and then from there, I actually took a step back from, from BuzzShift and was really trying to consider what I wanted to do next. And three things came to mind. One is I wanted to run hardware software. I wanted to at least have a hand at it or be a part of that. Two, I wanted to have an exponential impact via my level of effort. So every, for every one unit of effort that I put out, I wanted to see a 10 to 20x return on culture and society around me. And then the third is I wanted to run what's known as a redemptive organization. So most organizations are exploitative. Leaders eat first, I win, you lose. Employees are exploited and treated unfairly. And then culture and society is a net negative because this organization exists. There are some ethical companies, right? And ethical companies are to be celebrated and that's where leaders eat alongside their employees. I win, you win. it's yeah. where employees are treated fairly and it's where uh, society and culture is advanced because of these ethical organizations. The, the main challenge with an ethical, ethical organization is it's led by an imperfect leader. Right. And the leadership team, depending on how it goes, will almost always shift back into exploitative tendencies. I'm not saying they are exploitative. I'm just saying because we're human, we will shift into exploitative tendencies unless we have a structure in place that doesn't allow us to shift, that's foundationally more than even ethical. And so that's where a redemptive foundation comes in a redemptive organization. And that's where leaders are eat last they're sacrificial. So, and by sacrifice, it means something dies. In this case, the leader dies. So in servant, you know, servant leadership that's sacrificial, the leader dies. So I die, you win. And employees are not just treated fairly they're treated generously. And culture and society is not just advanced or renewed. It's actually restored and redeemed to a baseline that may not even have existed before, right? A new baseline. And so that's what we're trying to build at eating green. And that's what I wanted to do. And I, and I found the company that allowed me to do that.
1: Eddie, you are my new hero. I love everything you just said. That is an amazing journey. And I have to ask if you are, it, referring to my one of my favorite books by Simon Sinek, which is "Leaders Eat Last." I, mm-hmm. I love that whole concept of servant leadership and making sure that that the team is elevated. So absolutely, absolutely.
0: fantastic,
1: fantastic. Well now that i know your history in digital marketing i'm not surprised that you guys have some great videos up on youtube showing the technology and what you're able to do and we'll make sure to put a link to those in the show notes for the episode but for someone who has never been in a vertical greenhouse before can you tell us a bit more about what we will see
0: yeah absolutely so when you walk in the door, the first thing you do when you walk in our greenhouses is you wash up, right? So you mm. put on a smock, you put on a hairnet, which looks lovely on me. <laughs> I I'll love the
1: hairnets, <laughs>
0: um, especially the green ones, oh. right? You step on a mat that has uh, cleansing, you know, chemicals in it uh, to, to clean off your feet. And then you walk in through a vestibule that's airlocked uh, to keep bugs out. And and then from there, you go wash your hands, dry them off, and then you're ready to begin the tour. That's just a commitment to food safety that we have. Uh, that's not just a program. It's actually a part of our culture. So everyone mm-hmm. top to bottom does that vendors, everyone.
1: Quite a bit different than outdoor farming. Just a little bit, right?
0: <laughs> so when you walk in, what you'll see first, if you go through the life cycle of a plant, you'll see uh, what we call our propagation area and that's where seeds become seedlings. Right. And so we put them in a, uh, it's a hydroponic system. It's actually patented for us. It's uh, the NFT, not, not fungible token, the (laughs) NFT, uh, which is nutrient film technique. It's a certain type of hydroponics, but it's a vertical NFT. So it's, it's top down, right? So, you walk in through propagation, and propagation is done in in trays and it and in lights. And it's because these seeds really need this intense amount of light and a and a lower level of humidity in order to grow well. So just like a any sort of animal, what comes in the first seven to ten days of this seed to seedling is going to determine 50% of its of its success in the growth cycle. So we really try to no pun intended, we try to baby these seeds right, to, <laughs> I love it. for the first seven days, seven to 10 days. After that, uh, you'll, they'll be put into our system. So the next part of the greenhouse you'll see is actually our patented system and it's 18 feet high. The, the towers are 18 feet high. The, the greenhouse is 24 feet high, but the towers are 18 feet high and there are about 110 rows in a greenhouse and it extends for about 400 feet down. So all in all, you're getting around 62,000 square feet of 18 feet high, just vertical towers as far as the eye can see. Wow. And they are all full of greens, but because we only can plant, call it three rows a day, which is thousands of plant spots. But by the time you plant rows one, two, and three, And then you keep on going day after day after day. By the time you get to rows 36, roughly, it's time to start harvesting the first ones because we'll harvest every 21 to 28 days, right? So actually about row 60, you have what, if you just look down the row, if you can imagine you'll have small, big, bigger, huge, empty, small, big, big, and it's this continuous harvest that we have inside the greenhouse uh, so that every day, there is some portion of the greenhouse that's being harvested, some portion that's being cleaned and some portion that's being planted. And that's where our continual harvests come in. What that results in, I mean, the, the net, net of that is that we have workers in there every day. So no more migrant workers, mm. full-time, living day's wage with benefits, because we're harvesting and planting every single day. Right. right. So, one of our greenhouses can employ up to 30 full time people. And we love that. We've actually been very judicious about automation because while automation ups your profit margins, it lowers the amount of people that you can mm-hmm. employ. Right. Yeah. A lot of our competitors have to use automation because their margins just don't work otherwise. On the greenhouse side, and it's one of the problems that the industry faces as a whole, on the greenhouse side, you've got big tracts of acreage. So Mm -hmm. in greenhouses, in order to be economically sustainable for investors, they've got to be built in 60 to 180 or 120 acre increments. That's That's a a lot
1: of of land, a lot of space. A lot of
0: land, right? Uh, And so it doesn't solve for the supply chain issues that we're seeing right now, right? You still have to truck it in from hundred, 200 miles away. And that's considered local, by the way. It's it's, anything within a 400 mile radius is considered local.
1: Wow. That's a, you know, six, seven, eight hour drive. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. That doesn't sound very local to me.
0: Yeah. Well, it can be. The problem is you, all that trucking still costs money. And in today's environment. It costs more and more money every day to truck. We have a lack of truckers and rising fuel costs. So greenhouses are economical, but they're still far away. They don't solve for the distribution problem. On the other hand, you've seen, we've all seen in Wired magazine and on websites, these indoor vertical farms, right? They're basically bunk beds of, of greens, right? All under lights. And they're really, really sexy looking. Problem is you look at all those lights, they're immensely expensive to build and they're immensely expensive to run. That's a lot of electricity running through there. No one in the vertical farming industry, indoor vertical farming industry will admit to it, but uh, you're looking at power usage on par with data centers, mm. right? So That's all a lot. The, Yeah, it's a lot, it's four to 5 million kilowatt hours a month to run an acre and a half vertical farming All your ESG components just go flying out the window when you simply ask how much electricity are you using and where are you getting that electricity from, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You'd be hard pressed to find someone who is using 100% renewable energy into four to 5 million kilowatt hours a month and making it profitable. It just yeah. doesn't happen, right? So they could be, yeah, we're using 100% renewable energy. Okay, so what do your profit margins look like? Not good. Yeah. Not good at all. So, so you found
1: the magic, the balance the magic, between, right? the, between the two.
0: So by combining the economics of greenhouse with the density of the vertical farm, that's us. And if you think like, well, why doesn't everyone do that? It's because we've patented the technology to do that. So it's, yeah. it's patent- issued here in the U S it's not even pending. It's not, you know, all the great, it's patent issued here in the U S in the EU uh, and in a number of other countries as well. So we've got what we call in the business, a defensible moat. That's only widening because of our patent portfolio, but really at the end of the day, what that does is it makes it really affordable to grow cost-effective to grow, which means it's affordable to the consumer. Mm. That really is the most important thing. Because you can do indoor farming, you can do greenhouses, but they have to sell it at such a high cost. So it's fixed price, ultra premium, you know, whether it's in the Whole Foods of the world or the uh, high-end restaurants, high-end hospitality and food service, but that's just the high end. Like no one else has access to that because they can't afford it. Right. So, but what if you could make that affordable? What would that transform? And it'll transform the industry when you have hyper local within a hundred miles, hyper fresh, you know, from, from harvest to shelf in 48 to 72 hours, and then accessible year round, all of a sudden that, that increase in inventory makes it really, really affordable for people because there's just more of it and it lasts longer. Mm. So that's where we're at.
1: I'm glad you explained that because in the intro, we talked about how climate change is making farming more difficult. As farming becomes more difficult, food becomes harder to find and harder to afford. So having a solution to that problem is, is really a great way for you to have that 10 to 20x that you want to on yeah. the community and, and the world. Hey, Eddie, let's take a quick break here because I want to share something fun with our listeners. Have you ever wondered about the inspiration behind board games like Outburst or Taboo? Maybe you have a fascination with the supernatural, like how come ghosts never have feet? Or hey, maybe you just enjoy hearing interesting stories. Then you should totally check out Good People Cool Things. It's hosted by Joey Held, author, podcaster, and a guy with a real soothing voice. Good People, Cool Things interviews business owners, authors, musicians, and other creatives. They talk about their careers, their worst moments, offer advice, and so much more. And as a super fun bonus, Every episode ends with a corny joke, one that you should tell your dad, I think, because we could all make a few more people groan in life. So listen and follow at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or wherever you're listening to this podcast. All right, Eddie, let's jump back into our conversation. You know, you've talked about quite a bit about how vertical farming stacks up against traditional farming. I mean, I'm curious, how much space does it take to grow the same amount of, of lettuce
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a traditional farm as you do in a, in a standard vertical farm?
0: So the, one of the secrets of the industry is that, it's not a secret, but no one really digs into it, is that 90% of the lettuce that we eat is only grown in two areas of the United States, the oh. Salinas Valley in California, and then a certain part of Arizona. That's it. So the chances that if you ate a salad today and it wasn't from your garden, I ate a salad this today for lunch. It came from two to 3000 miles away.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's why it's in a little plastic bag with an expiration yeah. date on it. Right. Exactly.
0: Right. Yeah. So in those fields in Salinas Valley and in Arizona, 40 acres, 40 to 50 acres is roughly the equivalent to one of our acre and a half modules. That's 40, how much produce.
1: one and a half acres to 40 acres. Yes. That's amazing.
0: It's, it's incredible. Um, and in those 40 to 50 acres, they're going to waste around 800 to 900,000 gallons of water a year.
1: Ooh, we don't need that either. Do we? No,
0: no. Yeah, especially in, in
1: Arizona and California
0: with that are already going through a super drought, yeah. right? So that that's not the water they use. That's the water they waste. Because remember, plants transpire water. So they're using way more than that, but they waste a ton of water. And that's, that's, if it was organic, that's just regular runoff. If it's conventional, it's pesticide filled contaminated runoff 800 to 900,000 gallons of pesticide contaminated runoff not a good that sounds very sad
1: as a matter of fact very it sad, is very sad indeed. so it gets
0: even sadder yeah so they grow all that in a field right over however many days, probably 35 40 days and then when they harvest it on average there's 30 percent waste. Like they wow. literally do not harvest up to 30% of the crop because it doesn't meet spec or it goes, it overgrows or there's something wrong with it. Yeah. So that's what's left on the field. And then it sits in a truck or in the distribution system for about a week to a week and a half. So there's more waste there. Spoilage, mm-hmm. right? Then it gets to the shelf, probably some spoils there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You get it. You buy it. And you have about four days to eat it.
1: Yeah, there is there. You're like racing the clock. We have to eat this tonight because it expires tomorrow. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I just described a ton of waste and environmental concerns. And I didn't even tell you how much diesel it took for that truck to get Mm. from that field to our distribution center, right? Or how many pounds of carbon dioxide that were put in the air by that truck or the fact that there's usually right now at least there's there's stoppages and there's delays along the way because of the lack of truckers. So man I I mean I don't know about you but that's just unsustainable. Yeah. And that's just for lettuce. Think that's about all the other produce. Yeah. All the other produce out there that's coming from more miles away. Right? But lettuce in itself is an 8 billion dollar industry here in the United States.
1: Wow. So so you're growing lettuce in vertical farming. What else? What else can you grow in a vertical greenhouse?
0: So we've grown around 200 varietals of lettuces, leafy greens, herbs, tomatoes, some fruiting crops, peppers, right? For from an economic standpoint, we've identified that about 75 varietals that we know we can produce and have a positive economic return long-term economic sustainability for each of our greenhouse units. Mm. And the thing that we're focusing on right now are lettuce, herbs, and peppers.
1: And you know what I'm going to say? There is nothing better, I think, than a fresh tomato, right? A tomato that's come from 800 miles away and sat in the truck, sat in the store, sat on the shelf, sat in your fridge. It doesn't even taste like a tomato. So that in itself is very exciting. So I've heard that, and you've mentioned that produce grown in vertical greenhouse is more nutritious. I'm curious, why Why is that? And are there other benefits for, for the plants in addition?
0: Yeah, you know, I would, I would say I'm a realist. And so I would say that the, the produce grown out of vertical farms and these hydroponic greenhouses and us are as nutritious as what you're going to fight out on the field Uh, could they be more nutritious? I think so. It's a really broad sweeping statement. So I'm reluctant to say that, Okay. but I do think they are as nutritious. I know they are. We've done the tests. They, They are as nutritious. And the reason is, is because at least in our system, it differs in other systems, but in our platform of growing, the plants get the maximum amount of water that's filled with the ideal optimal balance of nutrients they get fed it 24 seven yeah. Uh, and our water moves so fast in our system. It'll go from a pump, an acre and a half away to the plant and back to the pump in 90 seconds. It's so the water's flowing that fast. So when you have the water flowing that fast, full of nutrients at a temperature that is optimal for plant growth and minimizes and mitigates any sort of bacterial growth because it's oxygenated, right? what you end up getting is just this all you can eat buffet for the plant. Mm. And then when you combine it with our patented system of controlling the climate, we call it our microclimate technology. We're the only ones that can control each individual climate around the plant spots. What you get is perfect amount of CO2, airflow, air temp, humidity levels, right? What you then get is this climate that's, Perfect for the plant plant to grow quickly, and be filled with the nutrients that it needs to be, you know, uh, to be just really healthy for the mm-hmm. overall consumer. So I'm
1: just picturing these happy little plants in spa-like conditions, oh, right? I mean, they're
0: <laughs> treated way better than 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 we are in our you know HVAC houses. I mean I that brings that. up a, that brings up a really good point. You know, one of the ways we're also really efficient and environmentally friendly is when you're only controlling you we do control the ambient temperature, right? But it's Mm -hmm. a very secondary concern for us. When your primary concern is just the 12 inch radius around each plant spot, what you end up getting is you only are really controlling one fifth of the entire volume of that greenhouse. It would be as if you and I are sitting in our offices or homes right now, and there was no HVAC. There were only uh, personalized backpacks that kept the, you know, three-foot radius around us at 67 degrees, and then everywhere else it was 85 or 90, right? Unbelievable energy savings, unbelievably uncomfortable for everyone else in the household, right? (laughs) But for plants, we just all wore our little backpacks. It'd be a really interesting, you know, it would be a really interesting experiment on how much energy we can save. I can tell you right now in our greenhouses, at least, because we're not really concerned with the overall ambient temperature, we're not having to control it like these other greenhouses that they have to they have to condition 60 to 120 acres of greenhouse under roof or in the case of a vertical that's a, lot farm, of a lot of
1: conditioning.
0: Oh a lot of conditioning again so that's where electricity comes in, right That's where that's where a lot of the waste comes in. We don't have to do that.
1: That's amazing. Eddie, you've mentioned a lot of different ways Eden Green's technology is positioned to help cities deal with climate change. Anything else out there under that umbrella that you haven't had a chance to mention?
0: Oh, man. You know, besides 99% less land. Yeah. Oh, we only waste, you know, we only waste uh, 90,000 gallons of water a year compared to the 800 to 900,000 gallons for a conventional farm, just to give you perspective on what 90,000 gallons of water a year means. One of our households will waste 45,000 gallons of water.
1: Whoa. So that's like just two houses.
0: You got it. So in houses, we will waste two households worth of water to grow 2 million plants, 2 million pounds of greens.
1: And that's for everyone who leaves the water on while they brush their teeth. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Eddie, by the time this episode airs, I understand that construction could be wrapping up on a pretty big project for you. Can you tell us a bit more about that and what makes this accomplishment so special?
0: Sure. So in 2017, we had our 40,000 pilot, 4,000 square foot pilot facility built. And that was a great technological proof of concept. And we're actually producing out of it now for, uh, for a label, a retail brand here in Texas. But the demand has been so great that we realized we're now in growth stage. And so one of the pieces of growth was to build a full 62,000 square foot facility with a pack house uh, attached to it. Wow. And, uh, and that's what we embarked on in September So golden shovels turning dirt in September, and we'll have our first harvest out in exactly one year from that time.
1: That's Uh, amazing.
0: And so uh, we're excited about that because it's really a commercial proof that we can do it, not just do it operationally, but that it's profitable from a unit perspective. And, uh, And I think the industry... I know the entire industry is watching uh, because uh, we're actually able to, we'll be actually able to produce numbers that show, Hey, we've got a, we've got a 30% profit margin off of growing lettuce in an industry that prides itself on anywhere from 2% to 5% margins. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So that's why we're excited because it's a, it really is uh, going to disrupt the marketplace in a good way.
1: Wow, that is that is great. And you know, it all kind of comes down to a huge goal of eliminating food insecurity. I, I'm curious what other goals do you have in your future and what do you see for the next 5 to 10 years? You've already accomplished so much.
0: Well, we uh we we are just getting started. So, our vision is to have a mesh network of these greenhouses all around the United States right next to distribution centers. Because when you put them next to distribution centers, you eliminate virtually all of the supply chain costs uh, involved in produce. When you eliminate those supply chain and distribution costs, that's around, I'll call it anywhere from five to 8% of the cost of your retail bag that you're seeing. That's significant. Uh, That is a significant cost savings that the grocer will pass on down to the consumer. Why that's important is because it all of a sudden becomes very, very accessible to consumers to have local greens in their in their fridges and in, on their plates. So that can only be accomplished with a mesh network of greenhouses. So we actually, in, uh, in, in seven years, we're, we're planning to have 80 of these greenhouses mm. up and running all around wow. the United States.
1: That's, that's just great. I don't know about our listeners, but I am hungry for a big, fresh, leafy green salad right now. As you should, as you should. <laughs> so, Eddie, I'm going to ask you a different question. It's my favorite question. Everybody who listens to the podcast knows I love this question, but I am inspired by motivational quotes and I'm hoping you could give us a few of your own. Eddie Bedrina. Original words of wisdom. (laughs) Uh,
0: The one that is really struck with me now is be impatient in the short term, but patient in the long term. I
1: love that. Can you talk more about it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I have a bias towards action and I think most entrepreneurs do. Yeah. And so that impatience to do something, even if it's wrong, Even if you fail, you fail fast and you do something else, knowing that you learn from that at the same time, you have to have a fixed enduring vision of what you want and in what you want the outcome to be. And you have to be patient in seeing that vision come to a reality and you'll have ups and downs, lefts and rights, you know, tailwinds and headwinds, but. You have to keep your eye on the prize on that long-term deal. And the only way you're able to keep that eye on the prize is if you're patient. Yeah. So it's two contradictory ideas, but uh, they do make sense when you really think about the day-to-day versus the five to 10 year plan, right? Be patient in the short term, but patient in the long term.
1: That is great, and I I would have to say that has that fits my own entrepreneurial journey as mm. well. Sometimes it's sometimes it's easy to get distracted, right? Uh, sometimes it's easy to be fearful and want to wait, and so this blend of going fast and going slow is is an important combination for success. Absolutely. Eddie, for our listeners who would like to learn more about your work, what's going on at Eden Green Technology, how can they find out more?
0: So on the web, it's just Eden Green, like the Garden of Eden Green dot com. Super simple.
1: I'm so happy that you got that good URL. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. Uh, and then on on social media, everywhere it's Eden Green Tech. Okay. Uh, and that you can find it on. I guess, Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all that good stuff.
1: Fantastic. We'll have a link to the website for everyone and also those great YouTube videos that we referenced earlier. So Eddie, I have really loved this conversation. I feel like I've learned so much from you. As we wrap up our time together today, what is the most important thing you would like our listeners to remember about the work that you're doing?
0: I would say... At the end of the day, it comes down to people. Like, Be kind to yourself, especially as entrepreneurs and leaders. You <laughs> have to be kind to yourself and be kind to others. That's really what it all boils down to.
1: Wow. Eddie, you're a great business person. You're a great speaker. You have these great concepts on leadership. I fully believe the world needs more people like you. Thank you for taking the time to share with
0: us today. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's Agency for Change podcast. To hear all our interviews with those who are making a positive change in our communities or to nominate a changemaker you'd love to hear from, visit kidglove.com at K-I-D-G-L-O-V to get in touch. As always, if you like what you've heard today, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.